It is a beautiful Monday morning. That's not a good start, is it, George? No, no. Let's say it like this. Try and apply that theory to any other industry in the world. It's a scam. I was betting like 70, 80k. This is the TradeMate Sports Betting Podcast, helping you beat the bookmakers. G'day guys, Alex here and welcome to the TradeMate Sports Betting Podcast. Today, I'm joined by professional sports trader and founder of Bet Angel, Peter Webb. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Mate, um, you're obviously a very popular figure in the sports trading world. I'm sure that people watching this on YouTube or listening to the podcast have heard of you before, maybe seen a couple of your, your videos on YouTube and such. Um, but yeah, maybe just give us a brief background. I know it's a it's a very thorough background, but uh, yeah, how you got started in the sports trading world, and I guess your journey. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been actually quite a long journey for me um, over a, a large number of years. But um, I've always loved sport, and um, that was the sort of initial spark for looking at uh, all, all stuff to do with. With gambling and so on but obviously i used to play it more than bet on it when i was younger and um my dad used to fill out a, a football pools coupon which would basically you'd have to guess the number of matches that would end in a draw and um, i just sort of became fascinated by it and uh he i sort of said you know what are you doing and he said well if you get eight of these correct you win a, a million pounds uh, a couple of million aussie dollars and i thought well that sounds interesting it can't be that difficult can it and um, that just sort of got me hooked uh, on trying to understand the statistics and stuff. Uh, I didn't see it as a career back then. Um, but yeah, I started to come up with models for football matches. And this was while I was still too young to bet, really. Um, wow. But I used to give him all the suggestions. He would, uh, he would do the entries and, uh, and then we'd sort of wait and see what would happen from there. And as I became more and more fascinated by it, I just became more fascinated by sports and gambling in general. And when I was at the library, uh, this pre-internet days, I um, found Ed Thorpe's book, Beat the Dealer, which was all about card counting on blackjack. And that um, got me fascinated all over again in terms of, you know, he found a way of making the game fair to him and uh, making money out of casinos. And uh, I sort of ha had this dream that maybe I would be able to do that one day. Um, but my early sort of forays into betting didn't really work out that well because I was getting restricted by bookies and all that sort of stuff. So I just thought, well, there's no point in doing this. But it sort of went, I went into financial markets and then it went full circle because it was through financial markets that I discovered betting exchanges and betting exchanges uh, brought me back into the fold. Because it's suddenly all of those things I'd learned all those years ago uh, gave me the opportunity to actually uh, put it to use uh, without any of the restrictions that I'd faced before. And uh, within a few years of starting to use betting exchanges, I quit my normal career and uh, and started doing this full time, which was over 20 years ago now. Yeah, wow, well, it's uh, it's quite a story, mate. How did how did you, I guess, learn about you know using the exchanges and, and just trading in general? Like, did you, did you kind of is it self-taught or like what kind of resources were you you know maybe you were learning from someone else? How did you yeah how did you build up to or at least get started in the trading world? Well, I, I sort of when I came across betting exchanges, the the thing that really appealed to me was that I was just betting against somebody else, and obviously if you're betting. Uh, with a bookmaker um then you've got this issue that they probably don't want you to win one way or another and you may be arbing or whatever you want to do um there's a, a limit a finite limit to how much you could actually put through um the with a bookmaker or any traditional betting so the thing that drew me to exchanges was the fact that there was no limit um but they were very uh the thing that appealed to me is they were positioned like a stock market for sports where you could basically buy and sell you, know, you could back or lay you could do all those things um but right at the very beginning i joined um betfair and a whole load of other exchanges but just days after they opened so everything i had to do was completely self-taught i had absolutely no idea what i was doing or the way that these things worked and it was a case of just going in there giving things a try 
um, and sort of messing around for want of a better word. And I already had some pricing models that I'd done on football, you know, stroke soccer. But um, so I sort of went into the market to either find value or to price up markets, do all of those sort of things. And um, I also used to do a fair bit of arbing because back in the very early days, there were very few people that really knew about betting exchanges. So I'd go to any bookmaker that would give me decent odds and then just lay it off on the exchange. And I would arb. And that sort of led on to all of the trading stuff that sort of followed. But there, were, there was nobody for me to look to. I just had to do it all myself. I was probably a small handful of people that sort of saw the opportunity and, and started messing around. So a bit of trial and error, a bit of sort of logic and knowledge, but I had to sort of uh, do it all myself right at the very beginning. So if I was speaking to, I guess, Peter Webb of 20, 30, 40 years ago when you, when you first started on the exchanges, would you say what, do you think he would have any chance nowadays if, if he was just getting started in 2021 with no knowledge at all, no one to learn from and just kind of, yeah, self-taught? How do you think he would perform in, in, in today's age? Well, I think it's, um, it's easier in some aspects because you can see that people have done it or are doing it. Um, so you know that it can be done and that there are interesting things that you can do. But I think that um, obviously the market's much more competitive than it was then. But if you look at the sort of things that I do, um, I tend to have to focus on where there is the most amount of money within the market because as you participate in the market over a large number of years and you gradually get bigger, it becomes less um, interesting to be able to bet on smaller events and secondary markets and smaller leagues and stuff like that. You tend to have to go where the money is. Um, so necessarily, if, if you go into some of the big markets, then obviously I'll be ever present in those. But some of the smaller markets, you probably find um, a less competitive and, and slightly more niche. But, you know, there are then usually when I fire up um, Bet Angel in the morning, there are usually sort of 10 to 15,000 markets on there. So I'm pretty sure that there's one for everybody. And it often makes sense to focus in on something that you enjoy, that you have specialist knowledge in and where you think you can actually find an edge. So, you know, you sort of naturally settle into one of those areas. So what were some of the challenges that you that you faced in your early days? I mean, you've obviously mentioned that you were self-taught for most of it. What, yeah, what were some of the challenges you faced? Um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on behind you, mate, but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I guess some of the, the biggest issues that, that sports traders, or at least just yourself, that you faced when you first started. Yeah, I think the uh, probably the biggest issue that I faced um, in all of these sort of years is um, I think there was a, if you do anything to do with sports betting, um, especially back when I started, I think that uh, people think you're just completely crazy. Um, it's it's always the hardest question to answer. You go to some sort of social event and people say to you, what do you do for a living? And if you say to them, oh, I'm a professional gambler or uh, there's something that, uh, you know, along those lines, then you get a fair amount of skepticism. And um, I think that when I first started out, I expected that, but probably not after all of these years, but it's still something that I think still has a bit of a stigma attached to it it's very hard um for to explain and when people say to me what do you do for a living now i just say yeah i watch sports for a living because that's a much more interesting answer and, <laughs> and that could mean anything <laughs> so um it's much easier to say that than you know you gamble or you trade or you do any of those things it's just a, a much easier answer to do with it but i think when i first started there were a huge number of barriers to entry and i think those barriers to entry are a lot lower now um, and there are many things that you can sort of um, progress forward on and it's got a little bit more legitimacy, but I still face that issue of people not really fully understanding exactly what I do or why. So over all these years of sports trading, your your biggest challenge is talking to those around you about what you do and nothing to do with the actual betting. Yeah, I feel very comfortable. I mean, I, I do honestly love what I do because uh, you get to watch sports. Um, I've always been into the stats side of it for quite a large number of years, and I enjoy the process of doing it. It's you know it's it's fun. Um, you know you have good and bad days and difficult 
moments and fantastic uh, moments. Um, but the actual process of doing all of that is the thing that sort of, you know, wakes me up every morning. I keep thinking that there's another problem to solve. Um, so the actual process of going through it is, is a joy to me, really. Um, and all of the issues that surround it are, are more either industry related or other stuff like that. I don't, um, I always approach each day with a lot of enthusiasm and, and I'm always looking for something interesting and new to, to try and find. And that's what sort of keeps me motivated really. In terms of the actual just sports trading, though, did you were there any like teething problems or I guess challenges that you've faced? I know you just mentioned you've had both good and bad days, so maybe just harp on some of the the, the biggest challenges that you that you faced in terms of yeah, just the actual trading side of things. Yeah, well, when when I started the um, uh, because trading is you can summarize it as just trying to back at two different sets of odds and net the profit between the two. Um, but I didn't even know really that you could do that when I first started. It was an accident that I sort of did it. I <laughs> when it tried to get rid of a bet that I placed and then suddenly I'd realized I'd actually created a, a little profit. And um, trying to do that seriously was probably the initial, the biggest challenge because there was no API, there was no software. And, and that was how BetAngel was born. It was born out of the back of that because I'd been doing lots of stuff in financial markets, wanted to do it in sports markets, and I needed to create the software to do that. Um, so that that was the first hurdle to overcome. But when that was overcome, everything just suddenly sort of took off. But I think the issues that you face uh, along the way are, are many, really, because I think from when I was very young, I tended to be quite risk averse. Um, and people who know me now would think that was crazy. But it's sort of almost human nature to be able to um, fear taking some sort of level of risk. Uh, ultimate way of actually taking um, a little bit of risk. So as a consequence, that's what sort of tends to catch people out when things go wrong or maybe actually taking an opportunity itself, that can be pretty hard. And nobody's perfect. You're either perfect or a liar, and nobody's perfect. And as a consequence, you are going to have little bad runs, you're going to have bad days, or you're going to make a mistake. So overcoming those and having the right mindset and approach to doing that um, is an important thing to get to grips with. Because if you do spectacularly well, you should almost sort of bank that to a certain extent to cover yourself for when things don't perhaps work out. And, you know, even now I'll make the odd mistake, but that's all part of the mix. But being able to come to terms with that is actually quite a hard thing to do. And I think that's what catches people out a lot. When I talk to people or advise people who are starting out, they go on a bad run and they somehow feel an urgent need to correct that. And when in fact, very often that is just part of the whole betting and trading process. Yeah, certainly. Um in our exchange of emails, I think, yeah, you mentioned something really interesting. And I, I'll just quote you here. You said, probably nothing, uh, sorry, I'm probably nothing like anybody you have interviewed before. Most people recognize me because I'm associated with Bet Angel, but I've got a deep and rich betting history with weekly turnover in the millions. So, I mean, that's a very eye catching comment, mate. Um, do you want to kind of, yeah, talk me through your process of, of finding your selections and, and trading and all that kind of stuff and why it's so important for you to be turning over such large amounts of money. Yeah, I mean, it didn't actually start like that. It was very small to start with. And um, when you, you sort of solve one problem in the market. So uh, when I first tried to do this full time, um, I knew a lot about soccer and I could model a soccer market really well. Um, I could price it, I knew where the odds should be and could take advantage of that. But um, I was also doing uh, a lot of stuff on financials. So back in the very early days, um, Betfair had little financials, uh, which mm. you could bet on as well. So I, I would do that. But um, both of those were a small part of a much, much bigger picture. And I became absolutely fascinated with horse racing. And the thing that fascinated me with horse racing is that it was turning over tens of billions of pounds a year. 
And I thought, well, if I can solve one market problem, I can probably solve a few other market problems. And that sort of sucked me into horse racing. That's probably the wrong word to use that. I became fascinated by horse racing <laughs> um, and trying to solve the problem of, of how to be able to, to bet on horse racing. Um, but one of the appealing things about horse racing is that you can have so many races over the, the course of the day. If you look at you know, yeah. spring carnival time in Australia um, and you look at the racing card on a Saturday, you've got like 4,000 races running uh, simultaneously in all four corners of Australia. And, um, and it's the same in the UK. At the peak times of the year, you get a huge number of races. And as a consequence, you could actually have a, a bet on a particular race and then there'll be another one along in, in five minutes time. So by default, if you get involved in more sports, especially on horse racing, you tend to find that the frequency of bets that you can place is going to be very high. And if you can find an edge, even a, an absolutely tiny one in a horse racing market, uh, part of the opportunity there is just the number of events that takes place. So you could uh, potentially get sort of in the UK, three races in the afternoon, three in the evening, each of them having seven uh, races on each of those individual cards. Um, suddenly you're talking about sort of, you know, 40 or so races over the course of a day. So just by default, you end up betting large amounts of money mm. um, and your edge is only ever going to be a percentage of that. And over time, as you get more confident with what you're doing, you try and gradually raise stakes to the level at where you feel you're not going to sort of damage that edge. Um, and just slowly over a period of time, you end up uh, turning over much, much larger amounts. So would you say the reason why you're, you're betting so much is because maybe your your edge is a lot, a lot, maybe, I don't know how obviously big it is, but um, would you say it's it's minimal in, this, in the sense that like for you to gain the most out of that edge, you, you have to place a lot of money on it? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you probably summarized it quite well. And um, <laughs> so I, I'm looking for um, as many markets as I can. And yeah. some of the stuff I do is, is manual. Some of it is automated because we now have APIs that you can send bets through uh, to, to, the ex to all the different exchanges. Um, so it's either scanning for an opportunity for me to look at or it's either taking part in that opportunity or I'm actually doing it myself. So as a consequence, there's effectively like many of me at the same time uh, mm -hmm. looking to try and find opportunities within the market and take advantage of them so yeah a lot of it comes down to that you know the the number of markets that i'll bet on in any individual week is quite high and then during peak periods it will be enormous um but that is a function of i'm happy to take quite thin margins and my edge yeah. is relatively small in the scheme of things um and then i just try and replicate that as many times as i can yeah, hundred percent, mate. And I, I recently just—I mean, this morning I saw a Twitter comment on an article that we wrote about a about a football tipster who had an ROI of four percent, and he was saying how that's just such a poor ROI, and it's just like, mate, <laughs> if you can put thousands, millions of dollars on a four percent ROI, you're going to be a very rich man. So I don't understand why people frown at even like a 1% ROI. If you can if you can bet a 1% ROI at a betting exchange or a sharp bookmaker over and over and over every single day, you're going to you're most likely going to be a millionaire pretty quick. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you've absolutely nailed it and and um, people don't seem to realize that and and the markets are competitive. So, you know, if you think you could get 10%, I think that um, that, that would be unbelievable, really, because if, if you're willing to take 10, somebody will take nine, then somebody will take eight and six and seven and five. So in a competitive market, you've got to expect your ROI to be quite small and probably declining um, a lot of the time. And therefore, if you're going to make a decent amount of money with a small ROI, you, you have to put through as much as you possibly can without influencing the odds. Yeah, certainly, mate. Um, I think the the most interesting thing that you mentioned to me throughout our email exchanges was that your I guess the last ten years you're saying you originally started like you mentioned before doing a lot of modeling on football and these kind of things, but now over the last ten years you've transitioned to a 
I don't even know how to, I guess, a psychological approach to, to betting the markets. Um, I guess that's kind of a, a very broad term and it means absolutely nothing. It sounds very, very interesting. So that's what I, yeah, that's my question, I guess, is can you explain exactly what you mean by that? Because it does sound very, very interesting. It's, it sounds unlike anything that anyone else does. Yeah, well, it's it sort of, um, I think all the best things happen by accident and um, you have to be inquisitive and forward thinking and positive thinking and looking for opportunities. I, I often say this, that if, if you have a positive mind, you find opportunities and if you have a negative mind, you find problems. So I've always approached the markets with this view that there's always something to learn and it doesn't matter how silly something seems, you should give it a try and, and try and learn from it. But um, it's... I had a conversation with uh, with uh, some people. I mean, all pretty much all the way throughout my career, I touched on it sort of earlier, where this this general level of skepticism sort of was there at the beginning, which I totally understand. Was there ten years ago, which was frustrating, and is still there today, where people sort of say, "Well, isn't the market efficient? Can't you do this? Can't you do that?" And uh, it, there, there's that sort of undercurrent that runs through it all. And um, it got to the point where I couldn't understand when I was talking to people about what I do, why they were still skeptical. Because I was sort of thinking, well, I've done it for so long. Um, I've kept good records, so, you know, uh, all of these sort of things. And it began to dawn on me that whatever you say to somebody, and you see this in politics and in life in general, you know, you always end up with two different views. If you had a referendum on, on one thing or another, it seems to always end up at 50-50. Uh, for some reason, people always want to take opposing sides to it. And um, I became quite fascinated by why this was the case. And I sat down with somebody one day and said, look, if you do this, the worst you could ever possibly do is break even because it's all going to balance out. And this guy came back to me and said, oh, I've just lost 20 races in a row. And it was like, how could you possibly do that? That even if you just tossed a coin, that's about a million to one shot. There's absolutely no way that you could do that by pure chance. So there must be something else going on. And then I sort of descended into this rabbit hole of trying to understand the, the psychology of what people do in the market and the way that they do it. Um, and that sort of changed everything that I do because prior to that point, I was going into, say, tennis, creating a model where I could say, if this player is a set up and two games up and is serving and in, in this particular set, what should his odds be? And if the odds are different from what I expect, then there's probably an opportunity. And I suddenly turned the whole thing sort of on its head and sort of said, you know, where where is it likely that we're going to find the best opportunity within this market? What's the uh, potential for a, an opportunity in this market? So my approach sort of shifted over the years from modeling and looking at it from a, a quant perspective effectively to actually going into the market and beginning to understand where people are more likely to make mistakes. So if you look at tennis, for example, a tennis player should be fairly consistent with their serve. Um, but you notice that certain tennis players, and it, it, it's a, gen a general characteristic, but it's very specific on certain tennis players, alter the speed of their serve depending upon the points that they're serving within a game and within a set. So you can almost read their mind in terms of what they're thinking based upon how they're likely to serve. And once you begin to understand the characteristics of that player, you can begin to understand what they're likely to do next. And necessarily that leads you into an opportunity, whether it's to do with trading or betting. And you find the same characteristics in golf um, uh, and you find opportunities in uh, tennis, in soccer, in all different sports that are geared up around those sort of characteristics. So. I've sort of shifted over the years from having a purely statistical model to one where instead of trying to find the discrepancy, I'm looking for where the discrepancy is likely to exist. And then I'm hanging out in the market around that point and waiting for it to happen. Um, and you also find it within the betting market as well. You see those characteristics plastered all over the betting market. So would you say that you've almost like profiled, I mean, you, you bet into, I don't think we have even mentioned this, but uh, you bet into tennis, golf, soccer, horse racing, or football. Sorry for those who get offended when that's I right. say soccer. <laughs> um, like that—that's a lot of a lot of sport, and and most people, at least most professional sports bettors, will only focus on maybe one or two 
maybe three sports. So have you, because you're talking about these psychological tendencies of a, you know, a tennis player or something like that, there are hundreds of professional tennis players out there. So are you, do you have like a database of like, I don't know, you profiled these tennis players in some way? Like that, it sounds very like, that would take a lot of time. So can you maybe just explain like your process of finding out like a Roger Federer or something? I know he's like the most popular tennis player of all time, but um, your process of, I guess, from day one of profiling him. Yeah. And um, you, you, uh, it's a very important, I think this is always one of the, the big myths is like, you know, it always sounds really glamorous. You know, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I sit down, I, I watch some sport on on the TV, and then I, and I have a few quid on it, and and hey, you know I'm rich, uh, and you know when I'm not doing that, I'm cleaning the, the the car outside, or I'm sat by the pool, or something. You know, it, it sounds like fantastic because you just watch something, you place a few quid on it, and and that's it. You suddenly make money, but the real reality is probably you know eighty percent of my time is spent gathering the data, looking at the data, sorting through it. Um, comparing stuff, um, looking for new opportunities, checking what I've done and whether it's valid or not. Um, so I collect a lot of data, uh, probably really more data than I can reasonably manage at times. Um, but some of it I'll just park and others I'll look at it forensically. Uh, but on tennis, for example, um, I'll have every single action within a tennis match um, listed by player across hundreds of thousands of tennis matches. And, and I'm just looking for a variance to the mean. Uh, does a player sort of behave slightly differently at certain points? Mm. Um, but the same thing will happen in different sports as well. So I know, um, and you know, I don't do every single tennis match that's there. I have to tend to stick to matches that have a reasonable amount of volume. Um, and in golf, I've done the same sort of thing on golf. So I can, I know the characteristics of individual players and what they're likely to play like and their style of play. Um, but I won't follow them around the globe and bet on the Swedish Open or something. But I will definitely do the Masters and all of the majors and the big tournaments where there's enough liquidity to make that worthwhile. So I have a tendency to dip in and out. But in terms of data, research, and all of that, that's probably where I spend most of my time. And the fun bit, which is watching it and betting on it, is probably a minority of all of that activity. So would you say it's all, is it all data-led, I guess? So you're not actually just sitting there hours on end every day, you know, watching these these players play a game of tennis or, you know, playing golf. Like it's all kind of sent to you in the data and then your, um, the hard part for you is going through that data and making sense of it. Well, I think you need to um, have the data there to be able to justify what, what you're doing or why you're doing it. Um, mm. So you learn that certain players, rather than attack a pin, will probably lay it up, for example, in golf, um, whereas others will be a bit more adventurous. But some of that is dependent upon where they are within the tournament. Um, but you have to watch sport because that is the, the lifeblood blood of it all. Because when you're watching the sport, you need to be in Phil Mickelson's head when he's heading up the 18th and you know he's two shots ahead to think, what is he going to do next? How is he likely to play this? Or, you know, we, we can all tell that Rafa Nadal at the French Open is going to adjust his hair, you know, touch his ear, you know, pull up his shorts, bounce the ball 16 times, and then attempts to serve it. So you're looking for those sort of characteristics and any change within that. So it obviously helps to watch the sport, but you do that naturally anyway. Um, I think the thing that you have to do is to use the data to detach yourself from the emotion of, of the sport mm. so you know i went during euro 2020 i won't bet on england um simply because you know at the back of my head will be thinking oh wouldn't it be great if they win this match or why doesn't they put this player on or you know yeah. I, it's you have to try and detach yourself from the emotion of it and and stats are a good way of doing that i think so i guess the best way to sum it up is it's a mixture of both um, I guess your opinion, your emotions from watching a game and also looking at the data too. Yeah, and I think from, from a psychological perspective, and I often say this to people if they're betting in play or they're trading or they're doing anything like that, is that very often 
makes sense to do the opposite of what you think when you first start out because you get sucked into the emotion when you first attempt to do this and it almost inevitably leads you into the complete opposite position that I would tend to take in some of these sports. Yeah, and do you have any background in psychology at all or is it more so just you've watched so much sport now that you can, um, yeah, I guess profile a player or a team a lot easier? Yeah, I had to. Um, I I went off to university lectures and watched stuff on um, YouTube and bought loads of books and started to, you know, make a nuisance of myself with uh, people who had uh, done it all before me. But there there is some really good quality stuff out there, um, but you have to do it at quite a, a base level and then build your knowledge on top of that. But I think it's a, an underrated and fascinating area of, of sport, simply because. Once you begin to understand, you almost have to put yourself in the shoes of those people, um, and you need to understand what they're thinking and the and the way that they're thinking about stuff. Uh, but you see it permeate right through um, sports, but also curiously right across the markets. If somebody, you know, if a jockey rides a four timer at a meeting somewhere, where's the money going to go on that fifth race? Everybody will pile in on it, uh, regardless of whether it's value or not. They've just seen him win four times. They want to win the next race so that's the most logical bet so it sort of transcends all of those different areas of the markets it's a really fascinating area to get involved in yeah so i guess the first half is um of, of your process is, is finding a tendency of a player and then being backed up by the data or vice versa but then there's the next step which is uh looking at the odds and seeing if the odds are valuable you know if if you like if you like you know roger federer's next serve to to be a double fault or something like that but the the odds of that are 1.01 then you know that doesn't doesn't do anything for you probably um i know that's probably a terrible yeah. example but um <laughs> what no, about you're in the right, you're right area there yeah 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 so can you kind of um you explain your process then of, of then looking at the markets and is it just a quick look at like, all right, that number looks look looks like value to me, or is there is there more to it? Are you looking at are you kind of pricing it up in your head, or you know thinking of like a percentage chance and then converting that to the odds? Yeah, typically the latter. So I'll I'll have um, a good idea of I work in percentages all the time. So if I see decimal odds of six, I know that's sixteen point six seven. If I see decimal odds of you know varying amounts then they, they will convert in my head automatically mm. um but it's there was a tweet i sent out in the i was doing the uk racing this afternoon and there was a horse that was really incredibly heavily backed so i could sort of tell why it was being backed because it had a favorable stall draw and all of the favorites or the, the winning horses on this particular day had were, were drawn similar or close to this particular draw but based upon its form lines, uh, everything I knew about the jockey and everything to do with it, there seemed to be no logical reason. I knew roughly what price he should be based upon the way that the market was structured, but it had moved, the price had moved about 15% from where I thought the price should be. Um, so that just screamed value to me in, in terms of laying it, not backing it. And um, when you approach a situation, that's how it tends to happen. You see something within the market, you see Federer, you know, being a set and a break up or something, you look at the odds and you're thinking, well, that looks wrong. Um, and then you're trying to quantify what you see uh, with what you would expect. But then you obviously need to try and understand why that could be the case. And in, in the case of the racing this afternoon, there's absolutely no way that this horse had improved in ability just because it was drawn low today there was nothing in its form line or its previous runs and with all of the other runners in this race to suggest that that was a, a valid price so the market just went mad at that moment everybody piled onto it and i you know i just took the opposite side of that and this uh, this change from from modeling to to betting purely based on you know the psychology as as you called it how, what were were there any problems there to begin with like did you I guess, did you struggle with the change in strategy or were there any yeah, just challenges in general uh, with, with betting that way? 
Yeah, I think uh, probably the the biggest thing that changed was uh, was me, in, in all honesty, because when I first started off down this path, I was a bit of a skeptic around, because you, you, you often hear it in financial markets where people are going, oh, you know, the psychology of trading and, and your mind and stuff like that. And uh, you sort of think, well, this is somebody who wants to sell me a 50 quid ebook or something, or make me go on a thousand pound course to mysteriously turn around my trading. Um, so I was very skeptical to start with, but the, the deeper and deeper I dug, the more I realized there was some actual substance there. Um, and there are some sort of general flaws or curious ways in, in terms of the way that people think and what they do and why they do those things. And once you get to that level, then I think you begin to fully understand. Um, but I remember my first attempts on trading uh, tennis was I would think, well, you know, this guy's won. There's, there's no way he's going to lose this. So I'll, I'll just back him, even at short odds, because he's going to go on and win this. And then sure enough, the whole thing would swing around in the other direction. Um, or there would be somebody that was about to lose, and you think, well, he's definitely lost. And then he gets a break, and then the other player double faults, and then suddenly the whole match has turned around on its head. So when I first started doing this, going through that change of being able to do something that felt right, you had this gut feel that seemed right, I almost had to turn that on its head and start looking at it from a completely different perspective. And I think that that was the thing that I struggled with most. And that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with uh, when they're actively trading as well, because very often you have to do things that just feel counterintuitive. Um, but that's all part of the process of understanding the psychology of either your, yourself in terms of taking risk or exactly what's going on on the field of play. Yeah, I mean, your approach is really interesting because I think the last decade of, of especially a sport like football or soccer is that it's 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 turned into a very data heavy sport now i mean the emergence of underlying data like xg or expected goals for those who have never heard of xg um it seems like that's that's the way to go and 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 the problem with that is people's betting edges have have heavily diminished because the people that were using that data it's all it's all public info now so it's all kind of factored yeah. into the odds so is that was, is that kind of why you're maybe uh, leaning more on the psychological approach now because you just it's pretty hard to to have an edge when you're just using data that basically everyone else can use too I think it's sort of inevitable I mean it's it's like I, I priced my first uh, football stroke soccer match um, back in the late 80s um, and it was quite a crude model and you know, I had nothing to compare it to, and it was, it was sort of quite basic, but it was still way ahead of anything that other people were doing around that time. Um, I was betting heavily on it in the 90s, but you try and use that uh, model now, and it's it's toast. It's, uh, it's of no use to anybody. And you see that reflected in the markets. You see people become more efficient. People use slightly different models, or they push the boundaries of what those models can do. So it's important that you have some appreciation of what the price should be. But in terms of finding a very specific edge within there, I think that's always going to be hard, especially in this day and age when the amount of technology, I mean, the amount of statistics you can get on a, on a soccer match now is insane. Uh, if I would have had this 30 years ago, I would have been a billionaire by now. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the quality of information is absolutely outstanding now on most yeah. sports. Um, but the, the funny thing, uh, you know, edges and things like that change over time and become more efficient. But I think that one enduring quality that I've seen that never changes is human nature. Um, when I started spotting things in the markets that made no sense, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't quantify it. And it was only when I looked at the psychology of all of this, I began to understand exactly what was going on and why these errors were occurring. Um, and these errors seem to keep replicating itself time and time again it's it's a really curious thing but it's it's a sort of a blend of having some data available that justifies what you're doing and understanding the price but then you know where the errors are likely to occur so you you try and anticipate those errors yeah i think the obvious question here for everyone i don't know if anyone else is thinking this but um you've talked a lot about psychology of tennis and golf players and, and maybe soccer and football teams too 
but how on earth does this work with horses? Because I, I don't know about <laughs> you, mate, but I can't read what a horse is thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, and it's it's funny actually. This was uh, of all the markets that I do, I enjoy the horse racing the the, the most because it is quite inherently unpredictable, and um, you know if you. If you talk to a, a soccer player just before they go out on the pitch, you can motivate them and say, right, I want you to go down the left wing. And if this player does this, then do that. But of course you talk to a horse and it will just look at you blankly and do whatever it wants. <laughs> so, um, but that, that creates a lot of uncertainty in the market and the uncertainty I think drives a lot of the errors that you see. Uh, it, it's very unusual. Probably you would use the psychology more in the betting market on horse racing than you would um, on the actual race itself, which is usually reasonably well structured. Yeah. Okay. Um, and do you do you? Um, I mean, I guess you're. I assume you're using the the exchanges uh, predominantly now. You're not using sports books or betting into bookmakers at all. No, um, I, the advantage uh, for me anyway uh, of exchanges is that um, there's no cap on the amount of money that you can bet or the number of markets that you can bet. Um, and you can also automate some of it as well. So using BetAngel, it's easy to point that at a range of markets and manage many, many more markets on an exchange. So some of those volume numbers come from that uh, in terms of if I was to try and do that with a sports book or a traditional bookmaker, it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, so being able to do that on a, a variety of different exchanges gives me the ability to look for opportunities and automate some of that and increase the volume that I'm putting through the markets. Would you say that's the sole reason why you choose betting exchanges and trading over over betting with sports books in the fact that you can't be limited or are there more, I guess, advantages for you uh, of using an exchange over a sports book. Yeah, I think the that's the primary reason. That's that's why I ended up on exchanges in the first place because I suddenly realised that there was a market that I could bet into, um, where I knew that my bet was going to be honoured, and there was sort of no cap on on what I could do effectively, and that appeal of betting against somebody else, um, rather than a a bookmaker, be them corporate or independent. Um, sort of reduced some of the risk for me. So that was the appeal of, um, of being able to do that. And that's sort of primarily why I've ended up there. And you, I mean, you look at the exchange, um, if you look at the Betfair exchange, I don't have numbers for all the exchanges, but they'll probably match maybe around 90 billion pounds. So 180 billion Aussie dollars or thereabouts. I can't remember what the exchange rate is at the moment. It's roughly two to one. I think it's may, may have shifted a bit recently. But um, so when you look at that amount of money, you sort of think all I need is a very, very small edge um, and, and I'll do just fine. And that level of transparency and the ability to, to do it. Um, and also, you know, the, the Bet Angel was created to work like you would in a financial market. So it's based upon software that you would find in financial markets. And you can just bring up a whole load of markets. You can be active in all of them. Um, and and that's one of the, the big advantages of being able to do that is the immediacy of it, uh, the scale of it, and all of those sort of things. So it's a very different way from a traditional sort of uh, betting uh, method or background that you would uh, conventionally see. And how do you see the future of trading? You've you've been here for um, you've been in the industry and using the exchanges for a, for a long time now, and I'm sure you've seen a big difference from when you started to where it is today with the emergence of stuff like artificial intelligence and bots and all this kind of fancy stuff. How do how do you see it in the next you know ten or so years, and how how you fit into that from someone that's you know been around for a long time and having to adapt as you go along. Yeah, well, I, well, I've been doing it for so long now that I've got my children interested in it. My children are now old <laughs> enough to do it all themselves. So it seemed like a natural progression to hand over some things to them, whether they want to carry on doing that and how much enthusiasm they have for it is uh, is open to question. Um, but it's there for them to do that. I think, you know, I'm actually sort of slightly disappointed in where we've reached uh, currently because 
when I first started on the exchanges, they were pretty much global. And really, when you look at a lot of countries now, um, they've sort of introduced legislation that limits the your ability to for their citizens to be able to use the exchanges either in the country or outside of it. So I mean, you know, we've got the turnover charge in uh, Australia, which isn't particularly helpful for New South yeah. Wales racing. And um, and I think that sort of legislation has sort of clipped the wings of exchanges a bit because when I first started, I imagined it may be a lot bigger than it is now. I mean, it's still big, um, yep. but I imagined it may be some sort of global giant that sort of, you know, totally transformed the way that betting worked. Um, but fundamentally, in some territories, it hasn't at all. So if you go to North America, they're still prehistoric in terms of the way that they wager in North America. And when I've taken trips over there to explain to them the concept of what I do and how I do it and what an exchange is, their minds are completely blown. And you're sort of thinking, this is the USA. <laughs> this is, you know, yeah. supposedly the biggest economy in the world um, has just not adopted them and probably won't adopt them anytime soon. So I'm sort of, you know, I think there will always be opportunities and where some edges fade and some sports die, others will replace them. Um, but it would be nice to see it on a much bigger, broader global scale. So, you know, one of the areas that I grew into was Australian racing. So after I'd worked out what to do in the UK, I immediately turned to Australia because there's, you know, very good quality meetings over there. There's decent turnover. And I just thought, well, I'm sure I can do it there too. Yeah, awesome, mate. Um, we've gone through a lot of lot of different topics today and you, you've probably mentioned uh, the, I mean, the answer to this question a few times, but if we had to summarize everything and you had to give just one piece of advice to to traders wanting to, yeah, improve their trading and, and get to the next level or maybe, you know, some advice for someone who's, who's just getting started, what would be your one, I guess, summary or piece of advice for those people? Um, oh, it's, it's funny because you say one, it's probably the hardest thing to to narrow it down to give me but five I was, then, mate. <laughs> I, I was asked this question once before and my response to it actually was price it's price is everything and uh, if you can get the best price that you can whether it's you know through execution uh, finding the best price being creative in terms of how you place your bet or what you're betting on um, if you can get a good price whether you're betting or trading that would be massively beneficial to you. And I think, um, in all honesty, probably doing this successfully, half the battle is with yourself. Um, people's minds are geared towards being risk averse, but actually you have to get very uh, familiar with going into a market and thinking, well, I think I've got this right, and I'm pretty sure the price is out, but I don't know. And I think probably the biggest change that I've had in 20 years is that when those decisions come now, I'm quite happy to do that and I'm quite willing to put my neck on the line. And when I see people starting out, very often they're, they're not willing to do that or they're doing it for the wrong reason. So I think coming to terms of that and focusing on that as well in terms of having a consistent plan, executing to it well, regardless of the situation that's in front of you, um, gives you a level of consistency where you can begin to improve. Uh, but a lot of people never are able to reach that. So, yeah, I think a little bit of psychology there and a little bit of price, which is more or less yeah. what we've actually discussed. But, yeah, you know, I think those are two very important aspects. Yeah, definitely, mate. I love what you said about the price. My my dream in life is for someone out there, and maybe it's already been done, is for someone to just bet based on what they think, like do no research, no modelling, anything like that, just bet on any game that they want whatever team they like, player, but always take the best price. And I want to see how that ends up over time because I'm almost convinced that that maybe they won't be a winner, but maybe they'll be break even over thousands of bets or, you know, maybe they'll be a slight loser or something like that because I just, I think, um, I think just if, if you're a punter out there and someone that's not interested at all in, in doing research on your bets or anything like that. But if you just always took the best price available, I'd love to hear how that ends up over time because I'm sure that even if you were a loser, it wouldn't be by that much. Yeah, I think you're right. It's If you can just squeeze a little bit more out of it it's, and mm. you do it over a large number of events, it's amazing what a difference that will make.
Yeah. All right. Awesome, Pete. It's been it's been great having you on today, mate. Uh, we've gotten through a lot, and I, I think uh, yeah, the whole psychological approach to you, to your betting is is fascinating, and I hope it implores people to or motivates them to you know maybe take a similar approach or take bits and pieces of what you said today into their into their own betting and trading, mate. Do you want to just uh, quickly let people know where they can find you and Bet Angel and maybe any projects you've got coming up and, and stuff like that. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you if you visit uh, betangel.com, you can find uh, the software, you can get a free trial on it, um, and uh, we've got some free versions of it as well if you want to use it on different exchanges. Um, you'll find me on uh, Twitter as BetAngel and uh, on YouTube as well, but if you can't find me immediately, you can always go through the links on the site to be able to do that. And if you're interested more specifically um, in some of the detail that I've touched on, we have a, a website called the Bet Angel Academy, and that um, has a lot of information on there as well. And some of the videos I've grouped together there from YouTube, so they're in a more sensible format and you don't get distracted by funny cats and dogs in between trying to learn something useful. So yeah, plenty of resources if people are interested. No, tremendous, mate. I. Uh... I know lots of people that yeah that use your use your software and are, are very familiar with your channels and all your resources. So so well done on that too. And thanks for coming on, of course. And thanks everyone for listening. For those listening on the podcast version, if you could subscribe, that would be tremendous. If you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, subscribe, like, comment any questions that you might have or or comments on on the on the podcast. Yeah. The, uh, the CD thumbs up always helps. Um, <laughs> and yeah, if you're looking to implement some of the strategies that we talked about today, maybe not so much the sports trading ones, but if we talked a little bit about sports betting there today, start a free week trial of TradeMate Sports and start taking the taking the best prices as I, as I mentioned before. Peter, it's been fabulous, mate. And um, yeah, we'll have to catch up sometime later down the line. Yep, no, thank you very much for inviting me on. Cheers, mate. Thank you.